Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. But uh, if you would join me in a word of prayer before we start. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. And we ask that you fill us today with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you, through your Spirit, would give us understanding of this text today. Lord, I ask that you, through your Spirit, would speak through me, Lord, that you would be the one speaking today. And I pray that I may preach your word boldly and clearly, as I should. And we pray this all for your glory and through your precious name, Christ Jesus. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Um, but before we start that, you can see the, we have the Advent wreath here today. Today's December 1st. November just flew by. So now we're in the Christmas season. And I love the Christmas season. One of my favorite things about Christmas is, is giving gifts. I uh, love giving gifts to my children and my, and my wife and just people that I love. Um, and then every now and then, it's not with every gift, but sometimes you really hit the jackpot when you give a gift out. And you just see, you know, your, your son opens the gift and their eyes are just bulge out of their head and it's just, whoa, it's just the awesome gift. And of course, as a dad, that makes me feel really, really happy. And, and then not just the, your son, he's not only happy to get the gift, but then he's got he's to play with it for, you know, the next three weeks straight. And then people come over and he's like, oh, you got to see this gift, check this out. And they play with the gift and he shares the gift and relatives call up and the first thing says, guess what I got? And he's telling about this gift to everybody. He's just so happy with this gift. And I think we see some of that here in Matthew today. We're going to read about Jesus calling Matthew. And Matthew, when he receives Jesus, he follows Jesus. He's just so thrilled. He just wants, hey guys, come on over here. Guess who I just met? Jesus. And it's like he's, he's like that child who just opened up the perfect gift at Christmas. And, and here's Matthew reaching out to his, to his friends and um, co-workers. So, uh, let's read. Uh, this is on page 963 in the Pew Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. So as you look at this, this text, um, we're in a section of Matthew, it's, it's a narrative. So Matthew, there's sections of teaching by Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, and then we have sections of narrative, where Jesus is going around doing things. This is one of those narrative sections. And it sort of reminds me of a, of a short play. So if this were a play, this would, we'd call it a, a two-scene play, um, this story. And... 
call scene one Matthew's calling. So, the scene. Where, where is this taking place? Matt, uh, Jesus is wandering around Galilee. To give us some perspective, Galilee for us, if, if Jerusalem were like Boston, you know, the hub of everything, uh, at least it is for us anyway, um, it's as if Galilee would be sort of northern Maine, upstate Maine. There's not a lot of people there, not a lot of big thriving places. And Jesus is just sort of going around from town to town, healing people, preaching his word. Um, it's not what you would expect you know, a, a teacher of the law to be doing. So Jesus is breaking all the molds, going way outside the box as he's traveling through Galilee. So that's, that's the scene. This is where we're at. The characters. The characters in this story are very important. In fact, the characters themselves do a great part in moving this story along. So scene one, Matthew's calling. We have two characters here. We have Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, fully God, fully, fully man, Savior, Jesus. And then we have Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. This is very important. A tax collector back in those days was what you would call the scum of the scum, the most, the most hated people by the, by the Jews. They were down there with level with prostitutes and other just terrible sinners. And you think about why, it, it sort of makes sense in that the tax collectors, they worked for, for the Romans, and the Jews hated the Romans, and then they used their power and their authority from the Romans, and then they would basically rob from their own people. So, sort of a double, a double whammy against them, and they were just hated. So, that's Matthew. You have Jesus... You have Matthew. Couldn't be two further opposites from one another. And yet Jesus comes and Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows. He follows Jesus. What a wonderful scene. No? And I have three observations from just from scene one. Number one, so Jesus called Matthew and Matthew immediately obeyed. Has God called you. Has God called you to follow Him? Now, I know none of us here have heard this voice from the sky saying, follow me. We haven't heard that. Yet, have you felt God pulling on your heart? Have you heard the soft whisper in your ear, follow me? When God calls, nothing can resist. With God's word, he created the heavens and the earth. Lazarus was dead. Jesus, just with his voice, said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus rose from the dead. When God calls us, it's going to happen. But sometimes God allows us to struggle through that. Um, I think of Jacob wrestling all night with God. God allowed him to do that. I think of my own, my own story. I remember... Hearing God's call, when I was 10, I went to a Billy Graham crusade in Boston. I was 10. But it took some time, though, before I really gave myself up to Christ. So I was 10. I didn't really surrender myself and really follow Christ until I was 22. God allowed me to go through some things. He allowed me to struggle. 
And then finally, I just, I surrendered. Has God called you? And if you're one of those that's sort of wrestling with God, news for you, you're not going to win. Surrender. Surrender your hearts to, to the Lord when He's calling you. Second observation, and I love this. Jesus didn't go up to Matthew and say, Hey, Matthew, I know who you are. Why don't you go home and wash yourself up, get yourself ceremonially clean, and you know all that money that you swindle out of all of your people around you? Well, give, give that back. And then, okay, when you've reached a level of goodness, come follow me. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, he, he meets him in his place of work, in the middle of work. Come, follow me. Jesus doesn't wait for us to reach a level of goodness and then we, okay, now I can follow the Lord. He meets us right as we are. And thank goodness for that because the truth is all of us, all of us are unqualified to follow the Lord. Not one of us is, is good enough to follow the Lord. But praise God that, that He is. And He calls us just as we are. He says, come, follow me. He's the one who qualifies us. And He's the one who leads us. And He can do this. And then third, third observation from this. Remember I said, Jesus, Matthew, couldn't be the furthest, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. Do you know somebody who you think, oh, that person, they would never follow the Lord. Everything they do, you know, God wants this and they just do everything the total opposite. That person would never, never be saved. Have you ever given up on somebody? Well, God came and He saved Matthew. He called Matthew, tax collector. God can call a tax collector to follow Him. He can follow that person. Or he can call that person whom you think God couldn't call. So don't give up. Don't give up. If you have a wayward son, a prodigal son, don't give up on him. You have a family member, maybe a granddaughter. Maybe you have a co-worker, someone that you really care about. And you just think, oh, what's the use? Don't give up on them. Jesus can call them. He called Matthew, he called Matthew. He can call whomever he chooses. Thank, thank God for that. So that's scene one. Moving on to scene two. I call scene two the banquet. And the setting, it's, it's at Matthew's house. And the characters in scene two, we have Jesus, we have Matthew, the other disciples, and then this is where it gets really interesting. We have many tax collectors and sinners. We've got a big group of people. This isn't just a one-on-one uh, -on -one thing. This is like a banquet. And this, this group of sinners and tax collectors, they were probably Matthew's buddies. I mean, who else would he hang out with? He's a tax collector. He can't hang out with good Jewish men. They wouldn't want anything to do with him. So he calls up his buddies. Hey, guys, come on over. So they're there. And then finally, we have as the characters. And it's not really clear whether they 
kind of stepped inside the door and just walked around and then left, or if they're peeping through the window, or it doesn't really matter. But we have the Pharisees. So these are the characters. And if you look at the, at the chain of events, so the timeline of this story, we have Jesus, he calls Matthew. Matthew responds. And then, like I said, then the next step is like the boy who just received the best gift in the world for Christmas. He wants to tell everybody. That's what Matthew does. He goes out and he invites his buddies, his fellow tax collectors, his sinner friends. Hey, guys, I got chips and salsa at my house. Come on over. And Jesus is there. So he invites all of his buddies over to his house to meet with Jesus. Makes me think of Revelation 3.20 when Jesus is addressing the church in Laodicea. And Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Seems that Matthew's banquet sort of like a real life example of this verse. Wouldn't it have been awesome to be there? Just imagine how just overjoyed Jesus was be there in the midst of, of lost people. He's, that's why he came. I also see Matthew's banquet. I think it's, it's a great model for us how to reach people so that they may meet Jesus. Have you ever thought, what's our strategy as a church to reach people with the news of Jesus? I think present-day America, especially American churches, the default mode for, for spreading the word is Hey, come on in. Come on over to, to church this Sunday. You, we'll open the Bible and get to hear God's Word. We expect people to come inside these walls. People that don't know Jesus. And we expect them to come in and just, and just hear. And I'm not saying, please, we need to invite people inside these walls. And we need to be faithful in doing this. But, and, and I know that some people, that's how they came to know Jesus. They just started going to church and, and they heard the gospel and they repented and believed. But the large majority of people, just think of Matthew's group that he invited here. Would they, if Matthew had said to them, hey guys, this, uh, this Saturday, synagogue, be there. It's going to be really cool. Do you think they would have shown up? I don't think so. I don't think they would have felt comfortable there. And yet we expect people outside these walls they probably, at a point right now, they wouldn't feel comfortable coming in here. And we expect them to come. So, thank goodness though, Jesus, he doesn't say, you know, as your model, say, hey, come here. He says, go, go and make disciples. He says, go out there and make disciples. Reach the people that don't know me. We're called to go out there to be salt and light wherever we've been planted. Most people, they won't respond to the gospel until they see someone living out salt and light and coming close to them and touching their lives. They need to rub shoulders with people who are salt and light before they even think about anything in the Bible. I have a friend, um, a missionary friend. He lives in Texas. And wonderful, wonderful person. And outstanding ministry, just incredible fruit. And one of his mottos is just show up and be there. Just show up and be there. 
And he likes to say that's 90% of witnessing to somebody. Just showing up and being there. And that's what we see Matthew's banquet. Right? Matthew, these were his buddies. He's rubbing shoulders with these people. And that other 10%, like, like Seth read in Colossians 4, you know, pray that God would open a door for our ministry. So Matthew was already with these guys, and he's like, hey guys, come on over. God opened the door. Jesus is at his house. So they came over, and, and they met with Jesus there. And something else, too, is that, notice Matthew didn't go out to his buddies and, and say, hey guys, I met Jesus. I've changed. Look at me. Look what I've done. That's not what the main attraction was. The main attraction here is Jesus. It's Jesus. As we come into contact with the people around us, we need to introduce them to Jesus, to point them to Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Him. I think of 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So you might say, uh, the tax collectors, you know, they just came to the party. They met Jesus in the flesh. So today, how do we meet Jesus? And the answer, of course, is in his word. We meet Jesus in his word. The scriptures point towards Jesus. So as we come alongside people, we share our lives with them. We're just there with them as Christ's salt and light. Opportunity, as we pray for them, for God to open up doors of opportunity. Opportunities will come up to share. And we need to share the scriptures with them. It's the scriptures that will lead them to Jesus. So you might think, okay, where do I start with this? I mean, Matthew, he was an apostle. He had Jesus there. Like, how am I supposed to do that? Just look at Matthew, though. Once again, yes, we can do it today. Just like Matthew invited all his buddies, we all have groups like this. Groups where we're already placed. We're already sort of what you would call an insiders. You know, it could be at our work, co-workers. It could be our neighbors. It could be family members. We're already, we're already there. And I'd just like to share with you a couple examples. God is doing great things, opening many doors in Braintree. So I live in Braintree. Just to give you a couple of examples, just show up, be there, but pray for them that God would open the door for, opportunity, for our message, which is Christ Jesus. So my wife and I, we, our family, we moved to Braintree in 99, and since we moved there, my wife and I, we've been praying, praying for our, our neighbors, praying for Braintree, praying for uh, the schools. I teach at Braintree High School, praying for my students. And we prayed, and we prayed for years, years, prayed for years. We kept on praying. And really, not many opportunities. But then one day, our neighbor came over, was talking to my, to my wife about this situation, and it was complicated, sort of like a real-life soap opera. And so my wife said, I don't know what to say. Why don't we just get together? The only thing I of just get together and let's let's pray about this and my neighbor said you know what that's a really good idea so why don't we do that and, and I just that's sort of the thought I had so my wife got together with our neighbor and prayed over this issue and God blessed it and then so we have kids 
more or less the same ages. And so my wife then said, you know, how would you like to get together? I've been wanting to do this. How would you like to get together and pray for our kids? Maybe like once a week or so. And my name was like, you know, that's another good idea. Let's do it. So then they started getting together weekly to pray for our children. And each time they were praying, they were praying a scripture verse over our children. And little by little, in being introduced to God's word, opening the scriptures, it's as if our neighbor heard, hey, come, follow me. And she began to believe. And now she's been baptized. And she's a daughter of the Lord. But it didn't stop there. See, so our neighbor, she was, there was something else going on. And just in the midst of everything, one of her friends came up to her and said, you know, I don't understand. There's something different about you. I know how in the middle of this, you're like so calm. And my neighbor said, oh, well, actually, I've been getting together with my, with my neighbor to read the Bible. And it's just, it's just been great. Would you like to come? And so her friend's like, uh, sure. So then they started getting together. And they started reading together. And if you don't think that God has a sense of humor, he does. Because the first time they got together, they were going through uh, some of the scripture that they had done in, in heart, er, Moms Together. And the very first scripture that they opened up with this friend was in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> and she's like, what? Oh, there's no way. And yet, through the scriptures, it was as if she heard Jesus calling, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And she kept on going back. She just couldn't get enough. And, and she met with Jesus through the scriptures. And now she's been baptized. And now she's a daughter of God. Praise God. But it doesn't stop there. Just showing up. Well, and also, so my wife now is meeting with someone else through this whole network. And it just branches out. But um, also in Braintree. So I've been coaching, just showing up and being there and praying for opportunities. I've been coaching my son's soccer team since they, my one son since he was in first grade. I've had these boys. They're now in ninth grade. So I've come to know these. I mean, I love these kids. They're sort of like my adopted sons, for better or worse. Um, and we love these families. You talk about rubbing shoulders with them. We've been there. We spent hundreds of hours with these kids and with these families. We've been praying for them, praying for them. God, open up a door of opportunity to share your message. And this spring, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to invite some of the dads to get together and, and just read God's word. And so I did. I said, in the spring, I said, you know, I'm going to, one thing I've wanted to do for a long time is just get together a little men's Bible study. And we'll just, it's low key, no big deal. Um, but I'm going to start in the summer. So if you're interested, just let me know. And if you're not, that's okay. So I invited six, six men, six fathers from this team. And three of them said, eh, not right now, no thanks. You know, maybe, maybe another time. But then three of them said, you know what? I like that idea. That's good. And so now we're still going. 
and we've been meeting. They can't meet on the same nights, so we kind of split it up. One I meet with, with uh, at least one, one of the fathers, and sometimes the other guy when he can come. We're reading through Matthew. And then another guy, we're meeting, my wife and I are meeting with him and his wife, and just meeting Jesus through the Scriptures. God opens opportunities. We just need to show up and be there and pray for God to open the door for His message. He will. What about at the workplace? Can God do this at the workplace? Yes, He can. As I said, I teach at Braintree High School. And I've been praying. You know, I rub shoulders with these kids every day. There's never a dull day at school, believe me. And as I'm there, I have a Bible study at school. I didn't start the Bible study. It was another teacher before me. She started it. She'd been a faithful servant of the Lord for many years. And, but when she retired, I stepped in and, and I led this Bible study. And all the kids, you know, every Tuesday, they announce it on the loud, so I read in the announcements, they announce it, Bible study, today after school, see Mr. Jameson if you're interested. And so they all know. And it takes a lot of courage to, in a school setting, not many followers of Jesus, to, to come to a Bible study after school. And yet some of them do. But then the ones, they're, they're really interested. And they know that I do this. And so in the middle of class, they'll just, hey, what does the Bible say about this? Or what's going on here? What's, what's that? And especially when they know that once they figure out that if they ask questions about the Bible, I'll get sidetracked and I won't. <laughs> we'll get off topic very easily. Then they, the questions just keep coming. And they're very open about it. And some of them, uh, if they come tardy to class or they might forget their materials, say, okay, you owe me after school. You, know, you owe me a detention. And like, oh, I can't come today. It's like, okay, when can you come? We'll set up a date and you come. Like, oh, I can come on Tuesday. Because they know I have Bible study on Tuesday. So this is their way of checking out Bible study. And every year, it's amazing. Many kids do this. It's like they almost misbehave on purpose sometimes so they can stay after school. And they come in and I say, okay, you have two choices. You can go up in the corner and just pick your nose. Or you can come here and join us for Bible study. And every time they've joined us for Bible study. It's just being in God's Word, just rubbing shoulders with them, praying for opportunities. And God opens the door. And there's other times, just rubbing shoulders. Sometimes kids come into to my class when I have my free period. And never mind that I'm trying to do work or anything, they just want to hang out. So they just come in, and they just start telling me their story, and I'm just there. And often this leads to, you know, I'll show them the scriptures. I had one student. He didn't really like the cafeteria food. I don't know why. <laughs> and so he didn't want to eat lunch in, in the cafeteria. So he came and asked me, hey, during lunchtime, can I just come up in your classroom and just, and just hang out? Because I really don't want to eat lunch. It's like, um, sure. <laughs> uh, but one thing, though, is that when I eat lunch, you know, so I have my Bible there, and I'll read the Bible as I eat lunch. And so if you want to hang out, how about we read the Bible together? He's like, okay, sounds good. So this student came every day for lunch for an entire year. An entire year, his senior year. 
Only God can do that. And, uh, and we actually still get together from time to time. We meet at Dunkin' Donuts and we just continue to read. God opens doors. Just show up and be there and pray for Him to open the door. He will. Some other things to remember as we do this, though, is you need to be patient. You need to be patient. Remember, I pray, we pray for Braintree for years, years before any opportunities came up. Keep being persistent in prayer. Something else as well. Don't try to go from zero to 60 in one day. Be patient. My student that came for lunch every day, we're probably at, we've got probably gone in three years' time from zero to 15. But that's okay. Because here's the thing, I can't call anyone. I can't create the opportunity. I can't open the door for the opportunity. Only God can open the door. Only Jesus can call, come follow me. It's not, it's not about me. We preach Christ crucified. It's about Him. But just be there and pray for opportunities. So, if the story were to stop there, it's, you might think, oh, this is a great inspiration. This is wonderful. But the story doesn't end there. And really, in every good movie, show, play, there's always some, some conflict or some tension in the story that sort of keeps the story going along. And we see that in this as well. So the Pharisees, true to form, they're the ones who provide this, this conflict with their question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So what creates the tension was really, it was the undertones under this question that really caused the, the tension. But I want to put that off just for one minute. Because if you look at their question, just face value, the act, just, just the words, take away the, the context around it, it's really a good question. If I could paraphrase the question, it's, you know, Jesus, why are you here? Why are you here? Because remember the context. They're at a tax collector's house in the midst of other sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees were right. Jesus was in a house of sinners. Jesus, why are you here? Why would you do that? Do you ever stop and think about where Jesus came from? What Jesus left behind to be on earth as a man? Makes me think always of, of Philippians 2. You know, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Lord, why would you do that? Jesus, why are you here? Have you ever looked at your own life? You think back to your timeline, and you're like, ooh, that was bad. I really messed up then. And then, oh, that's another one. Man, I just keep messing up. Oops, there's another one. Ooh, I'm a real sinner. Jesus, why would you want anything to do with me? I just keep messing up. Why? Why are you here? 
Do you cry out to God like David, say, Oh Lord, who am I that you are mindful of me? Or like Peter in the boat, when he was in the boat with Jesus, after the miraculous catch, and, and Peter goes to his knees and says, Lord, away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Lord, why are you here? And of course, Jesus himself, he gives us the answer. In his own words, he says, Is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's here for the sick to heal them as a doctor. So this, of course, leads to the question, well, who are the sick and what is the sickness? Well, the sickness is our sin that he's talking about. Our sinful nature, our sin. Sinful nature and the sins we do. They need to be healed. So then who are the sick? Scripture says all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need the doctor. We need the doctor. We have a condition that we can't do anything about. We need a doctor. And something else too is if if I have a heart condition, I don't go to the hospital and say, hey, is the local foot doctor around? I really need to see him. Or, you know, I, I need an ear doctor. My heart's bugging me. We don't do that. If we have a heart condition, we go to the hospital and say, I need to see a heart doctor. It's urgent. Our condition before God, there's only one doctor who can heal us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one qualified to heal us of what we really need. He's the only one who took our sins upon Himself on the cross, who conquered our sins, conquered death, and rose and is alive. He's the only one. Jesus is the only doctor who can heal us from what we most need, which is forgiveness. And the problem is our sin. So getting back to the Pharisees. Remember their question. It was a loaded question. They weren't asking on the face value. You know, like literally, why are you here? The intent behind their question was filled with with cynicism and and really is a judgment. That question, they're casting judgment on Jesus. They're casting judgment on the people at the party. It's implying that, that they were righteous and they wouldn't be there. And the people at the party, no. Why are you even wasting your time with them. Why would you do that? And I love Jesus' response. He says, you know, go and find out what this means. So sort of in, that, in answering that way, when he says go, it's sort of as a rabbi would talk, uh, you know, go to the scriptures and find this. But then Jesus says, find out what this means, as if they missed the whole point. And this is to the Pharisees. If anyone's supposed to know what scriptures say, it's the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the whole point. You have to learn this. And he quotes from Hosea chapter 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, not sacrifice. In the context of Hosea here, God is being very critical of the Israelites for they were doing all these things that they thought were good. They were doing sacrifices. You know, if they had a checkbox, a list of good deeds for the day, check, 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 they thought they were good. And yet their hearts were so far from God. 
Their hearts, they didn't want God. They didn't honor God. And of course, God, he wants our hearts. It's from our hearts that then our behavior springs out from. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. So, really, unless we acknowledge that we are sick, sick with sin, we have no part with Christ. We have no part with Christ. That's a hard teaching. But as Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, as he's been pointing out, this is a major theme. We need, we must have repentance before salvation. In chapter 3, John the Baptist arrives on the scene and his message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is is near. And produce fruit, says to the Pharisees, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then Jesus arrives and starts, starts his ministry. His message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, people who need a doctor, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We all need the doctor for what we really, for our real ailment, and that's sin. The only way for us to be healed is to recognize that we are sick We need to turn to Jesus to be healed and forgiven. And just as a final thought, remember going back to that child opening up that gift and just wanting to share it with everybody. And we think of Matthew. Matthew was called by Jesus. And he just couldn't contain himself. Hey, guys, come on over. He invited everybody, everybody, his buddies, just like that. If you know the doctor, if you know the doctor, then go out there. Go and share the good news of Jesus with the people. Just be there. Be there and God will open opportunities. Pray for God to open opportunities for your message, which is the doctor, that is Jesus, has come to save sinners like us. Amen. If you join me in prayer. Lord God, We thank you that you are the doctor. Lord, I know I need the doctor. Lord, I ask that um, you would just fill us. Lord, we're just, that you would really show us, show us what we have received through your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you and we love you and we pray this through your precious name. Amen.